good morning, everyone. Welcome to our continued study uh, in the book of Jeremiah, um, picking up um, where we left off a couple weeks ago. But before we get started, let me uh, uh, open our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your word and for how it demonstrates uh, your faithfulness uh, to us, even as we'll see uh, today, uh, our hearts uh, are so uh, wicked and unfaithful that we cannot hold to even the simplest vows uh, so often. But you, Lord God, uh, you are faithful. Uh, and that is where our hope resides, uh, in your love and faithfulness to your people, uh, that even while we were sinners, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Uh, teach us this morning uh, through the words of your prophet Jeremiah, uh, Give us your spirit, the same spirit that spoke to the prophet. May that spirit speak to us uh, this morning as we discuss your word uh, together. We ask all this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 34. Um, we're actually going to try to do two chapters uh, this morning, chapters 34 and 35. And as uh, hopefully you'll see, um, even though these chapters aren't uh, chronologically related, chapter 34, the events of chapter 34 happen before chapter 35, um, I think they're put together uh, in this way to contrast uh, the faithlessness of the people in the days of Zedekiah uh, with the faithfulness of this particular group of people, the Rechabites, uh, that he uh, interacts with in chapter 35 and uses as an example a model of faithfulness to uh, faithless Judah. So um, just to recap where we are in the book, so chapters 30 to 33, uh, which uh, Mike Lee uh, took us through chapter 33 two weeks ago, um, was a section known as the Book of Consolation, which focused on these future divine blessings that God will dispose bestow upon his people after he's punished them for their sin. Um, in chapters 32, 33, even though Jeremiah was shut up in the court of the guard, so he's imprisoned in the midst of the siege, uh, he could look forward to the days when God would fulfill the promises he made to the house of Israel. Uh, in those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So uh, these beautiful pictures of hope kind of tied together chapters 30 to 33. So after this kind of stunning heights of these uh, promised blessings, uh, in chapters 30 to 33, uh, in chapters 34 to 35, he goes back <laughs> to um, the, the unfaithfulness of the people and their abysmal failures. Um, so with that uh, as an introduction, uh, let me read for us Jeremiah, and again, I'll read chapters 34 and 35, and we're going to try to cover both these this morning. Hear now the word of God. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army and all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all of its cities. 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving the city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. You shall not escape from his hand, but, he sh but shall surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You shall see the king of Babylon eye to eye and speak with him face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace. And as spices were burned for, all, for your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so people shall burn spices for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have spoken the word, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem, when the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the cities of Judah that were left, Lachish and Azekah, for these were the only fortified cities of Judah that remained. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them that everyone should set free his Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one should enslave a Jew, his brother. And they obeyed all the officials and all the people who had entered into the covenant that everyone would set free his slave, male or female, so that they would not be enslaved again. They obeyed and set them free. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male and female slaves they had set free, and brought them into subjection as slaves. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, at the end of seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and served you six years. You must set him free from your service. But your fathers did not listen to me or incline their ears to me. You recently repented and did what is right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty, each to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. But then you turned around and profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female servants, whom you had set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection to be your slaves." Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to the sword, to pestilence and to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hands of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has withdrawn from you. Behold, I will command, declares the Lord, and will bring them back to the city, and they will fight against it, and will take it and burn it with fire. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. 
Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them, and bring them to the house of the Lord, and to one of the chambers. Then offer them wine to drink. So I took Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. I brought them to the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, above the chamber of Maaseah, the son of Shalom, keeper of the threshold. Then I set before the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they answered, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, You shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow seed. You shall not plant or have a vineyard. But you shall live in tents all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he commanded us, to drink no wine all our days, ourselves, our wives, our sons, and our, or our daughters, and not to build houses to dwell in. We have no vineyard or field or seed, but we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land, we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and the army of the Syrians. So we are living in Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord? The command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. The sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them. But this people has not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, and they have not listened. I have called to them, and they have not answered. But, the but to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts, and done all that he commanded you, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So, uh, as we uh, get back into um, uh, these various stories that, again, aren't in chronological order, um, What's our situation of Judah and Jerusalem in chapter 34? So as, as we think about the this, this story in chapter 34, what, what's the situation that Jerusalem and Judah is in at this moment? Yeah, Jay. 
everybody's against me. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you're right, Jay, to the, like the totality uh, of it. All his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all of its cities. So, yeah, Jerusalem at this moment is in a very bad way. All their cities, uh, not just Jerusalem, but all their cities have been besieged. They only have these two remaining fortified cities of Lachish and Azekah left. Um, and so, yeah, it's a pretty bleak uh, situation uh, for Jerusalem at this moment. So in that, that moment, they're, they're under siege. Um, they make a covenant. Um, they, they actually undergo, go in through the covenant-making ceremony. So in the midst of the siege, um, what is this covenant they make? And, and why do you think they make it? What do they vow to do? They vow to free their slaves. Something, um, it's like I, I never arrange these things, but it kind of happens in our Bible study on Friday night. We studied Deuteronomy chapter 15. Guess what lies behind chapter 34 of Jeremiah? Deuteronomy 15, <laughs> which specifies, uh, and it's quoted here, at the end of seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free from your service. So that's what they are supposed to be doing all along. Every six years, the people, um, their, their fellow uh, he, you know, Jewish men and women, who because um, of poverty, because of economic necessity, sell themselves uh, you know, for a period of time. But they're supposed to be set free. And it seems that this has not been taking place. Instead, their fellow Hebrews have been holding them in uh, subjection as slaves, is the term here. Um, so in the moment of the siege, they're doing the thing that they were supposed to be doing all along. Good. What else would you say? Yeah, Nick. Or you just, you're taking your arm off Ashley, so. <laughs> that, 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 that's a sign. You should not take your arm off Ashley, so. <laughs> keep your arm around her. Or keep her close. Um, yeah, like, you, you bought a painting. You didn't know it, like, in the auction. Um, but what else stands out about this, this covenant that they've made? Yeah, great. Yeah, they've upped the intensity of, of, of how unfaithful they are. And you're exactly right. Like, you know, this is one of those passages where it, it, it gives us 
some of the circumstances of making the covenant. And as Greg says, they've gone through the, the, the actual trouble of taking a calf, splitting it in half, and walking between the pieces. Um, so they've made this very public, very physical declaration of their intention to do something. Like, so, and again, it's something they're, they're supposed to be doing all along, so, which they haven't. Uh, now, in the midst of a siege, um, they're, they're taking the step of, of pledging to do something that, again, they were supposed to be doing <laughs> all along. Um, so it's sort of like, okay, we're, we're going to show we're really committed to doing it this time by taking this covenant vow upon us. Um, and again, when you split that animal you're, and walking between the, the pieces, you're saying, basically, let that be done to me if I violate this pledge. Um, so it's this picture. In the midst of a siege, they're going through um, this uh, covenant-making pledge, this ritual, in a very visible, dramatic uh, form. And then what happens? <laughs> oh, that pledge we made? <laughs> Forget about it. Um, it. It always makes me like, um, uh, there's a, at the beginning of The Tempest, um, Shakespeare describes, like someone goes up on deck and they're like, well, what are the sailors doing? Yeah, they, you know, they're working the ship. Then he sends them back up on deck. What are the sailors doing now? They're praying. We're in trouble. <laughs> and it's that kind of like, foxhole religion, like, so they're, they're besieged uh, in the midst of the siege, they make this pledge, they make this dramatic statement of, we're going to free our slaves, and Nebuchadnezzar goes away, <laughs> um, he, uh, we know from other passages, uh, he has to lift the siege momentarily to go deal with the Egyptians who are causing some trouble, so he leaves Jerusalem, goes deals with the Egyptians, people in Jerusalem are like, ah, oh, Nebuchadnezzar's gone, let, let's take our slaves back. Um, and as Greg says, it's like doubly egregious because um, they have, again, this was something they weren't supposed to do as it's written in Deuteronomy. Like Deuteronomy 15 is very much like enslaving a fellow Hebrew is, is meant to be temporary. And the only way it cannot be temporary is if the enslaved person voluntarily, out of love, wants to stay with the family he's serving, and then they take his ear and put an awl through it in the doorpost. Um, and, and so there's this moment where that person pledges to serve someone else. But otherwise, slavery is supposed to be temporary. Um, but that is not what they're doing. And again, like they've taken this dramatic pledge um, and made this covenant before God, and, and then as soon as it seems like Nebuchadnezzar's left, they break it. Yeah, Jay?
yeah, it's, again, it's like amping up the egregiousness of what they're doing. And, and as Jay says, the point is uh, of Deuteronomy 15, like the, the whole point of um, someone serving uh, another, you know, committing themselves to a period of slavery is, is, is a mechanism of caring for the poor. Like, so you're gonna go work for someone for six years, they're gonna take care of you, and they're, they're gonna put, help you get back on your feet again, basically. And they're supposed to, as Jay says, send you out with more that you came in, like kind of save up your wages and then lavishly bestow them upon you when, when that seventh year comes and that year of Jubilee comes and you're released from slavery. And you're now set up to support yourself, to be independent again. So the whole purpose of Deuteronomy 15 and laying out the stipulations for you know, uh, a Hebrew being enslaved to another Hebrew um, is, is for compassion. It's a way of caring for the poor and it's a way to, to show grace uh, and uh, support for them in the same way that God showed to his people. And, it, and just as in Deuteronomy 15, so too in Jeremiah. I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So he, like in Deuteronomy 15, it always goes back to the Exodus. You were enslaved, I freed you. When one of your fellow Hebrews becomes enslaved to you, have compassion on them. Show them mercy. Show them kindness. Have a, uh, and the, the, the picture in um, Deuteronomy 15 is open hand. Like, you know, you, you're open handed with them. You release them from service. You're open handed with your possessions toward them. You're, you're giving to them when they go. And here, it's the exact opposite, as Jay says. Rather than having, um, an open hand with them, it's more like they're seizing them by the collar as they're leaving and like, no, 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 you're, you're enslaved again. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to force you to serve me. I'm going to subject you as a permanent slave rather than this temporary compassionate arrangement. So it's the complete they're doing the complete opposite of what God has commanded them to do. Yes, sir. So, so Josiah was, you know, right at the beginning of, of Jeremiah's prophetic reign. So if we think of the book of Deuteronomy being rediscovered, it's, it's a rediscovery in Jeremiah's lifetime. 
And as you look at the book of Jeremiah, the single most important Old Testament book for, um, for the book of Jeremiah is Deuteronomy. So um, how much the people are aware of it is, or applying it, you know. <laughs> but, but certainly the kings, and certainly Jeremiah, and certainly the priests, and the kind of um, leadership are all aware of Deuteronomy and, and the terms uh, specified in it. So for the leaders, um, they're going to know about it. Jeremiah certainly knows about it, because again, it's like... Yeah, <laughs> it, it literally it over, like, it's, it's one of the reasons in our, I chose Deuteronomy or, or forced Jay to study Deuteronomy in our Bible study is because, like, the two go hand in hand, like, um, it, you know, and it, it really is. Like, this law has been recently proclaimed. Josiah had been working on implementing his reforms, starting to do the things that had been neglected. Um, Josiah's life kind of gets cut short, and they immediately all go back to their wicked ways. Um, so, you know, it's their obedience, kind of like here, is, is very shallow, um, very surface. And just as in uh, Deuteronomy, the focus is on the heart. Like, you know, God wants you to do these things um, not just out of, you know, um, rote um, uh, obedience and the, the phrase, um, you know, don't do it grudgingly, <laughs> um, but, but do it liberally. Um, yeah. yeah, do it, you know, because this is what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, and again, the, the point of enslaving them, like, isn't to exploit them, like, which is how slavery and human societies usually works. Like, I'm exploiting the person for their labor. I'm going to get everything I can out of them and then, you know, boot them to the curb when I can't get anything more out of them. This, the point is to restore the person, which is why it's, it's more of a, an indentured servitude kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm going to help you establish yourself, reestablish yourself, help you get out of debt, which is usually why a person would become enslaved, is because they become indebted to someone else. I'm going to give you work. I'm going to help you pay off your debt. I'm going to help you get back on your feet. That's the purpose of it. But instead of, you know, the gracious, uh, you know, aspect of the law, they're exploiting it to again, subject a person for their benefit rather than the, the enslaved person's benefit. And, and again, like to think back to a siege situation, like food's getting scarce, like, you know, maybe they're doing, okay, yeah, let's free the slaves. Then I don't have to feed them. <laughs> they're, you know, they're on their own. Like, and as you say, like, I'm not lavishly setting them up to, I'm putting them in a position where, 
once the siege is over, I can again exploit them once more. So yeah, going through the motion, <laughs> um, but without the intention. And what makes it truly egregious to God here is that um, they have taken this pledge. Like they've, they've taken this covenant vow and they violated it. And the, the, the punishment, notice how in verse 17, therefore thus says the Lord, you've not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and to his neighbor. And then the irony of the punishment, behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence and to famine. <laughs> so like you haven't freed uh, your brothers, so I'm going to free pestilence and destruction and the sword upon you. So it's taking the very kind of um, thing that they were supposed to do and God, the, God um, ironically is using the same language to describe the punishment that's going to befall, befall them. And, you know, they have taken, a, a, again, it's not just that they haven't done what Deuteronomy tells them to do. They've taken a public vow. <laughs> They've passed through these pieces. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. So like they've made this public declaration. They've taken this solemn vow um, in the presence of God to, to do this. And as soon as the crisis is over, like all that they forget and and they turn around and and subject uh, the people they freed as slaves once again. Um, so it's like uh, to back to what Greg said. It's doubly appalling to God. <laughs> like they they didn't do they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Then they made this public pledge to God. This is what we're going to do. And they violate that. Um, as soon as the crisis pass, passes, um, they, they turn around and commit this horrible thing, which is why God um, you know, makes this proclamation, I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, so it's not just that they're sinning against their, their you know, fellow uh, Israelite. They're, they're offending God by taking this vow upon them and by you know, not doing what they said they were going to do. In fact, doing the exact opposite of what they pledged to do. <laughs> yeah, and it is it's like it, it it's it's this picture of of that fundamental human selfishness like, you know, like in, in the parents in the room like going through the show of the obedience, parent leaves the room and you know, it's every child <laughs> for him or herself. Like, <laughs> the, the wall of the jungle takes back over. Like, they've pledged before God, this is what I'm going to do, and then they turn around um, and, you know, and boldly disobey. Um, <laughs> I've won election, so therefore, and, it, and again, it's that, like, 
in the midst of a crisis, they're making this pledge. But you know, as soon as the crisis passes, they go back on it, which shows how, how insincere the pledge was to begin with. Like when the kingdom of Israel rebelled? Yeah, it's a similar kind of, of attitude. Like, you know, we kind of see the same story being written um, again with the, the southern kingdom as, as what the northern kingdom, the same kind of rebellion that they went through. And as Jeremiah has pointed out, it's in a sense worse for the kingdom of Judah because they saw what Israel did and saw what happened to Israel, and yet they kept doing the same thing. <laughs> like that's part of, uh, Jer if you think back early in the book, that's part of Jeremiah's message. Like you saw what Israel did. You saw the, uh, how, how uh, the northern kingdom committed adultery with other gods, and you saw how that, that kingdom was punished, and you turned around and did the exact same thing. <laughs> um, so it's that, you know, it, it's, in a sense, Judah is more egregious because, you know, they've seen both the, the sin and the consequences for the sin take place in the northern kingdom. And, like, like you know, it's like, to go back to children, like, it'd be like one child sees the, uh, you know, the other one get punished for something, and they turn around and do the same thing. <laughs> like, it's the second one is even worse, because they, they know the parent is serious. You know, they know God is serious about this sin, and he will be faithful in bringing judgment, and they turn around, and they do the same thing. So, in a... <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they, they're in a... Like, I mean, God had told both the northern and southern kingdom, what will happen. Like, you violate your covenant with me, I will bring these curses upon you. Like, again, it's all in Deuteronomy. Like, um, but it's sort of like, well, will that really happen? <laughs> um, and Israel does it. God really punishes them. So Judah knows that God is super serious about these things, and yet they do the exact same thing. All right, anything else you want to say about chapter 34 before we jump into 35? Yes, sir. Right. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it, it, um, if you look at Deuteronomy, it doesn't make it, um, Deuteronomy doesn't talk about, um, uh, 15 doesn't talk about um, non-Hebrew slaves, but it does talk about the non-Hebrew poor and, and says, you know, they can deal differently with the non-Hebrew poor. So, so yeah, it's, it's more kind of like, you know, as part of the covenant community, you are pledged to take care of the other members of that covenant community. Like, you know, that's your responsibility. Like, you know, you are to make sure that if one of your brothers or sisters that has, has fallen on hard times, fallen into debt, you, you know, you're, you're, it's your obligation to care for them in this particular way. All right, well, let's talk about, um, so uh, chapter 35, we get another one of these um, symbolic actions um, where the prophet is doing something 
um, publicly to, um, to, to draw attention, to kind of like, you know, stage a, a, a moral lesson. So to understand that lesson, we need to know who these Rechabites are. So who, who are the Rechabites? What, what are we told about these people? So, yeah, so these are, um, you know, a, a family that we, you know, if you look in, in Kings, so that's the first time we have Rechab. And then we have Jonadab, who makes this vow later on, who uh, helps. So if you look at 2 Kings, um, if you flip over to 2 Kings um, chapter 10, um, do this quickly. So in, uh, later on, you have Jehu, um, and Jehu strikes down the prophets of Baal. Um, so if we start reading in verse uh, 15, uh, and when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him, and he greeted him, and he said to him, is your heart true to my heart as, is, as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him ride in his chariot, and when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken to Elijah. Then Jehu assembled all the people and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his worshippers and all his priests. Let none be missing, for I have a great sacrifice to offer Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshippers of Baal. And Jehu ordered, sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. And they entered the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. He said to him who was in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments for them. Then Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, and he said to the worshippers Baal, Search and see that there is no servant of the Lord here among you, but only worshippers of Baal. Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stationed 80 men outside and said, The man who allows any of those whom I give into your hands to escape shall forfeit his life. So as soon as he made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and the offers, Go in and strike them down, let not a man escape. So when they put them to the sword, the guard and the officers cast them out, and they went into the inner room of the house of Baal, and they brought out the pillar that was in the house of Baal and burned it, and they demolished the pillar of Baal and demolished the house of Baal and made it a latrine 
to this day. Um, so so uh, when we get to Jeremiah and we see these Rechabites, um, these descendants of um, Jehonadab, uh, they, he goes back to this vow that he had made. Um, that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, you shall not drink wine, neither your sons, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, you shall not sow seed, you shall not plant or have a vineyard, uh, but you shall live in tents all your days that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. So here, it, you know, it's referencing back to this uh, man who helped Jehu eliminate the worshipers of Baal in a super brutal fashion. <laughs> um, so, and, and had made, taken a, this vow that he wouldn't drink wine and that he wouldn't build a house, he wouldn't plant vineyards, he wouldn't sow, but he and his, his uh, descendants would be sojourners, they would be, live in tents, um, and they continued centuries later centuries after Jehu, still were doing this. Um, and everybody knows that this is their, you know, their lifestyle. They know they don't drink wine. And notice what Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah to do. <laughs> Invite them to dinner. <laughs> At the temple, no less. It's not like just, you know, a common meal. Uh, get a room at the temple in the house of the Lord um, into one of the chambers then offer them wine to drink. So he bring like so you know if you're the Rechabites, um, notice the situation you're being set up with here. The prophet of God has invited you to dinner at the temple, and you come in and he puts this big bowl of wine right in the center and says, "Here, have a drink." Um, and and notice what their response is. Like, there's a response. They don't think about it. Uh, they answered, we will drink no wine. You know, they remain faithful to the, the pledge that their ancestor had made long before them. Um, and they declare that their, their faithfulness uh, in this act. And again, this is, this is a very visible, like, it's not a private meal. This would be a very publicly visible event that's taking place. Um, and that serves like uh, as this object lesson, like a visible lesson for everyone around uh, to see that the Rechabites are being faithful. Um, and it, it creates this picture for Jeremiah's sermon to take place. Yeah, and, and in, in the, um, all the negatives here are the most severe negative, like, no. <laughs> like, it's not just like, oh, thanks, no thanks. Like, it's a very emphatic no. Like, they're resisting the temptation. It's right there before them. And you could think how it might be understandable. Like, again, God's prophet has called you to God's temple for this public meal, like, you know, that, wouldn't it be better to go along to get along? And instead, in the face of this temptation, they say no. 
based on, again, not something that God called them to do, but something their human ancestor, you know, who's long dead, <laughs> has, has told them to do. And they are being faithful to the word of a deceased man. And that creates the picture for the living God <laughs> has told Judah to do things and, and they won't listen. They are being unfaithful. So the contrast between the faithfulness of these Rechabites in the, you know, in an understandable temptation, they say no. Like, <laughs> look at the contrast, the people of Judah. Yes, so he knew. He did it because God told them to. So, so it's first, it's the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them and bring them to the house of the Lord into one of the chambers, then offer them wine to drink. So God tells Jeremiah to do it. Jeremiah then turns around and does it, does what God tells him. And it, it, it again, the purpose is to create this visible picture of what faithfulness looks like, what obedience looks like. And there, obeying a human rule created, you know, arbitrarily, we might say, like, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, we, we get the Nazarite vow, no drinking wine, uh, don't shave, shave your head, uh, you know, we get some, some other kind of similar things taking a vow. But notice what they vowed. They vowed not only not to drink wine, but not to build a house, not to sow seed, not to plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in tents all your days that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. So they've pledged themselves to this radical lifestyle um, that was commanded by their ancestor and they're continuing to be faithful to that, um, faithful to, to what their ancestor had pledged. So it's a, you know, a, a visible picture of what faithfulness looks like. And then Jeremiah uses that as his <laughs> sermon illustration. Um, you know, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not re receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord. The command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept. And they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed your father, their, their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. So the contrast is God's commanded the people to do things and they're not doing them. Jonadab commands his ancestor to do something, and centuries later, they're doing it. So the contrast between their faithfulness and the unfaithfulness of the people is, is truly striking here. Like, again, it's a visible sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, 
mean, it says, it does say, um, because you've obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. So, like, it's this, he's rewarding them for their, uh, their, their faithfulness. He's commending their faithfulness. He's used it as an example for before all of Judah to show this is what faithfulness looks like. Um, and notice it's not, they're not being commended for, for living in tents. They're, they're being commended for, for continuing to obey the word that their you know, ancestor had spoken. And and the people of Jerusalem are being condemned um, for not listening like, to, to God, not listening to the prophets that God has sent to them persistently. I, I love that. I've sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently. <laughs> so you have this people who are being faithful to the commands of their ancestors and don't have to be reminded and then you have this people who are not being faithful, even though they're being reminded constantly, persistently of what they're called to do, and they're stubbornly refusing to listen to God over and over and over again. So it's the striking contrast between, like we saw in chapter 34, people, which again, I think even though they're, chronologically out of order and not related. I, I think the book of Jeremiah squishes these two stories to contrast these people who make a pledge in the midst of a siege and instantly turn their back on it versus a people who are faithfully living out a pledge made you know, years and decades before and they're continuing to be faithful to it. So you got one kind of like Instant unfaithfulness versus persistent faithfulness. Yeah, absolutely. Like God's commands are are much more liberal <laughs> in that regard. The blessings that are to be inter, uh, you know received from like doing like what's the blessing of living this lifestyle? Like you're perpetually a nomad. <laughs> like and if you think about it, like they're perpetually like you have to eat. <laughs> Food's got to come from somewhere. Like everybody can't be a recobite or everybody would die because somebody's got to plant something. <laughs> um, uh, you know, like, and, and yeah, they're, they're following this command that has no visible payoff. Like, um, like and as you say, they're, they're denying themselves 
the comforts of, of life. And, and God's law is, is, is replete <laughs> with the blessings that come from following his commands. His, 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 you know, he delights to do good for them. Uh, you know, uh, Deuteronomy 15, in setting this, the, the passage up, it, it's, it's, we, we were really struck when we were talking about Friday. It starts off, if you obey my commands, there won't be poor. <laughs> there will be no poverty. Like, if you follow my law, we, we won't have to worry about the poor. But because you won't follow my law, you will always have poor among you, and this is how you should treat them. But, but if you think about that, like, the, the blessing is, if y'all live out this law that I'm giving you and obey, there will be no poverty, you'll live long in the land, um, you know, all the nations are going to come and borrow from you. You'll never have to borrow from anybody else. Um, you'll never go without, uh, you know, you'll never go hungry. You'll have, you know, all the blessings of vineyards. Um, all that good stuff that comes from obeying God. And as you say, they, they're refusing something that brings uh, prosperity Whereas these guys are being faithful to something that, you know, doesn't bring <laughs> a, a visible blessing like that. It's, it's actually built on denying them the good things of life. So, so yeah, it really is a contrast between what, what they're doing, which has no visible payoff, but they're being faithful to it, versus to what the people are called to do, where there are pages and pages of blessing to, to following this law. Um, and they're refusing to do it. So there's no evidence that this Rechabite vow crossed generations had any connection with the Nazarite vow? No. Not, I mean, again, it's kind of like they, they've taken this vow, like, and, and you know, and, and the idea is it, it's kind of like a monastic kind of thing. Like they're denying themselves for, um, it, we're not even given the, the reasons, like, like what what's, What's the point? <laughs> we're, we're not given the point. But because the point that, that Jeremiah is pointing them to, again, is not, um, not what they vowed to do, but the fact that they're being faithful to it. Like, even though it, it's, it, it comes at a cost to them, um, it's painful to, like, or at least I assume. I mean, some, some of you all like to camp. Maybe you want to live in a tent all your days. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, and uh, like, and he's holding them forward. This is what faithfulness looks like. You can't tell me that it's impossible. These people are doing it. Like, they're doing it with no tangible benefit. The, the blessings of God are there before you. Why are you refusing them? You know, why are you refusing to obey? And, and knowing that, in, in this case, the, the cost comes in the penalty of disobedience. Behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them and they have not listened. I have called to them and they have not answered. So, you know, the Rechabite's faithfulness is, is setting up this condemnation of Judah's unfaithfulness. And again, this pronouncement of of judgment upon them for refusing steadfastly, steadfastly, persistently refusing 
to listen to God over and over and over again. As Deuteronomy says they would. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and the curses are befalling them. Like, again, it's not, he's not inventing a new punishment. He's bringing on them all the disaster that I've pronounced against them. Like, again, it's all there. Everything that's happening to them has been laid out in the law. This, you disobey, this is what happens to you. They're persistently disobeying. And so, therefore, God is bringing the punishments to bear upon them. Um, so, again, it's this uh, dramatic picture that's set up of what obedience looks like and to, to condemn the people and, and us for our stubborn, um, persistent, uh, not listening to God. Yeah, and Jeremiah, um, you know, has, has talked about this in, uh, in the prior books. He's laid out this new covenant that's going to become and that is going to, um, through the one man's obedience, uh, produce permanent blessing, a permanent king rather than these schmucks <laughs> like Zedekiah and Jehoiakim um, that there will be this righteous branch of David that will have this eternal reign. Um, yeah, so the contrast between this coming kingdom that's, that's the blessing of the new covenant and the way that the curses of the old covenant are falling upon the people at this moment. All right, well, good. Let me uh, close our time uh, with the word of prayer. Uh, gracious God, we do um, thank you for... Um, our perfect uh, covenant sacrifice that, that we have one um, who took that covenant uh, upon himself for us and that uh, his blood uh, was shed uh, when we um, deserve to be uh, torn asunder uh, as these animals we see described in Jeremiah. Um, the, the curses uh, that should have fallen upon us uh, fell upon him. Uh, and the obedience that your law requires, uh, that he perform that obedience perfectly for us. We thank you um, for how these, uh, this picture of Judah and Jerusalem in its last years and the words of the prophet Jeremiah uh, help us look to a, a better kingdom, a kingdom that's not of this world, um, but uh, a, a kingdom that you've established through our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, an eternal kingdom and we look forward um, to that day where we feast uh, with him and we thank you for allowing us to, to worship you in the coming hour and to even um, have a foretaste of that covenant meal uh, that we will celebrate uh, eternally with him uh, as we uh, gather around the table uh, this, this day. Lord, uh, help us to see our sin to, to repent of that sin and turn in faith to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it as well. Um, give us uh, the faithfulness that we ourselves uh, do not possess. We ask all this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.